Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by someone who has interviewed all the great names in today's Formula One, but today we're turning the mic on him. It's F1 journalist and broadcaster Chris Medland. Hi, Chris. Hi, Spanners. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us in the shed. That's all right. It's uh, lovely surroundings. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone loves being in the shed, um, especially Joe, who joins us uh, on about a monthly basis, always speaks very highly of you, Chris, always uses you as an example of as someone who was thrusting and, and just got out there into the world of journalism and media and just went and did it. Yeah, I got a bit of help from Joe, actually. I, I first started off doing uh, the British Grand Prix media services team just to sort of get in at a race paddock and see how it all worked and get an understanding for it. Um, and Joe was one of the first people I was introduced to by one of the guys there saying, here's some people you should chat to who help young journalists quite often. So he let me uh, write a feature, actually, on his uh, website when he was running GrandPrix.com and uh, opened a few doors there and away it went. When uh, when you started, was that in around, what, 2007, 2008? 2008, yeah. First, first one was 2008 when Lewis won in the wet at Silverstone. Um, so I did three years there. I was at uni at the time doing sports journalism. And uh, yeah, it was a really good way of spending a few, uh, well, a weekend in the summer. See, I, I was a bit of a latecomer to the internet. Genuinely thought it was a bit of a fad. Uh, and around, around 2008, did you have the level of internet media, internet reporters that we have today? Or was the only option to just go and turn up on track? Uh, yeah, you had a lot less of it, uh, mainly because the way that Bernie used to run F1 and the FIA's regulations meant you couldn't really get accredited as a journalist. You had to be, as an online journalist, you had to have a sort of print publication to go with or be a broadcaster. And slowly it opened up. But yeah, at those times, it was uh, online was like a little bit of a side thing that they didn't take quite so seriously. So uh, yeah, Formula One, I think it was one of the later sports to really cotton on to what the internet could give it. Do you think they'll ever cotton on to what podcasts can give it, Chris? I'm asking for a friend, asking for a friend. I think they're getting there. There's some pretty good ones out there. Uh, this being one of them, but uh, yeah, there's uh, it's definitely a growing market, and uh, yeah, I think there'll be a few more spring up as well. So uh, I think I think they're just about picking up on it. 
now, normally, uh, as we head into the summer break, we kind of think, uh, oh, no, this is a nightmare. There's three weeks now without Formula One. But is there a sense in the F1 community that after the last four crazy races, actually, we, we could use a bit of a break? Uh, a little bit, yeah. But on a personal level, I, I was exhausted after Hungary. <laughs> but that was more, I blame Germany for that one because race day at Hockenheim, by the time you got to the end of that day, you were shattered. Trying to watch that race and follow everything that was going on and understand all of the different sort of aspects of it and everyone's individual races was just so tiring. I had such a headache by the end of it. And there's about five laps to go where you still weren't convinced who was going to finish where. And you're thinking, I need to write a report here. What's gone on? Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a, a tough weekend. And then yeah, to go straight into Hungary as well was, was busy, but uh, to be fair, you know, that's from my perspective as a journalist, but you think of the mechanics and the engineers and, and the team members that are just flat out the whole time. Uh, they work some brutal hours as well. They they genuinely do need, it's, it's, it's stupid, isn't it really? But we have to force them to take two weeks off. We have to write it into the rules because otherwise people wouldn't stop. So that's just the nature of the beast really. Yeah. People who do things out of passion and not just to feed their families are, are crazy and strange individuals. How, how do you follow a race? So, I mean, we're always torn. Do we do we catch some radio commentary, watch it on TV, follow it in live text? Uh, Joe Saywood, for example, follows it with a pen and pencil and doesn't listen to any of the the in race commentary. How do how do you follow a race? Uh, very similar, actually. So not pen and pencil. I'm, I'm not quite as um, old school as Joe with his um, race chart or the lap charts, but they're, you know, they're really good for refreshing your memory and sort of getting an understanding <laughs> of how a race panned out. But for me, yeah, we don't get any commentary um, in the media center. You're just reliant on the pictures, the team radio that comes in and the timing screens. So you get a couple of different ones that normally have race control messages and all the different sectors so you can see how maybe an individual race is panning out based on lap times and sector times uh, even if you're not seeing the pictures on track uh, but that's only if I'm in the media center so sometimes I'm out in the tv pen and you're reliant on one screen with the tv pictures one timing screen if you're lucky and if you can see it and uh, maybe get the app up and, and try and get some team radio that way and but- twitter and Twitter, yeah, yeah, because Twitter's always right, of course, and everyone oh, yeah. and everyone agrees, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you you uh, you produce content for Racer Magazine, do you uh, like- Racer Magazine and Racer dot com, yeah, online so uh, over in America. Does that get you um, into the driver pen bit where you have to shove a microphone in the driver's face? No, so that's a different bit of my work. So I'm freelance, so I, uh, I have my own, technically I have my own company, and um, I do the racer stuff. Gets me into the media center, um, so they're my who I'm accredited under. But then I do some work for Formula One themselves, uh, and that's normally when I'm in the driver pen doing interviews, um, either for Formula One to do their own paddock pass shows and the things that Will Buxton uh, often does. It's, it's normally if he's got a Twitter live show to worry about, I then go into the pen uh-huh. to, to help out. Uh, or for NBC, the Middle East broadcaster, I do some work for them. So I normally do pre-qualifying and pre-race. I, I do their live TV shows, um, sort of as a bit of a pundit and as an interviewer. I uh, do the grid walk for them. And then obviously oh. all their outputs in Arabic. So I'm kind of like the link between all the people on the grid and doing the interviews in English and uh, and the Arabic presenters. So it's, it's quite good fun to do. And, can, can, uh, can we see the Medland grid walk anywhere? Is it, does it rival the, uh, the Brundle pit walk? Uh, it, if it rivals it, it rivals it badly in the way that um, we were talking before we started this is um, Yeovil Town's my football team. And it's in the same way we rival Bristol City. We're about four divisions apart, but we like to think we can still challenge. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a, a long way off Brundle's standard, but uh, it's good fun to do. And we had some we had some fun in Budapest, actually. But I, I myself have never got to see it back because it's only oh, broadcast right. in the Middle East. 
it's a big big region it's it's the whole of the middle east so there's a lot of people that can see it but uh, i've yet to find out how i can watch it back which i'd like to do sometime just to see how stupid i look obviously you have the the envy of all us bedroom and shed dwellers uh, sticking a microphone in the face of the drivers straight after the race i suppose it's useful that you're not listening to the same race commentary as everyone uh, I, I suppose your questions could easily get led by say the sky commentary team so it means you're asking fresh and different questions but do you have i'm not going to ask you which are the worst drivers to speak to uh, but there must be some drivers where you go ah oh, brilliant i know i'm going to get value out of say hulkenberg uh definitely not hulkenberg but yes you're <laughs> okay. right um hulkenberg tends to disappear uh, as quickly as possible and, and try and avoid doing as much media as he can uh, even more so than kimmy i think but um yeah daniel ricardo no one will be surprised to hear is, is always good value uh, the first 20 seconds of the interview i did with him post race on sunday in the tv pen uh was him just trying to get a sneeze to come out so there's no words uh, just some strange faces and uh, yeah I mean it made for great telly uh, so yeah Daniel's very good Lando Norris is excellent uh, Carlos Sainz as well both McLaren guys are very good uh, Charlotte Clerk also tends to be very good most of them are good is it is it is it the younger guys who have kind of come through watching a different kind of tv coverage and then they've come up and gone actually I'm on telly like a lot of the job is being on telly I'd better work on being on telly I think a little bit, yeah. For a lot of them, it's just quite fun to do and quite cool to do. And uh, I'm lucky now that I've just about been around long enough that I was there before the drivers were for for a lot of them. So there's a little bit more of, uh, I guess, it just a natural respect comes from them that you're someone they've seen doing it before. Whereas, understandably, for some of the older drivers, they're just like, who's this guy who's sticking a microphone in my face? Like, I get enough of this and I've had enough of this. So their relationship's been built up with others. But um, to be fair, for the older ones, someone like Lewis, Lewis is excellent most of the time. Um, you ask him a good question and gives you a really good answer so uh, that helps I did some BBC Five Live stuff last year and and I think he does see the outlets and understand the need to to talk to those as well so yeah he, he's normally very good uh, he actually got some stick on Sunday for being late to the press yeah. conference the print one uh, because he was still doing television interviews because he, he wants to talk and he's asked a question he wants to give a good answer so uh, he's just doing his duty and doing it well so I, I do feel sometimes he gets a bit, a bit of stick that's unfair there in that sense but yeah he's one of the good ones as well uh, one of the good ones to interview. Uh, is it not overly robotic? Because I think a lot of people uh, criticise Lewis Hamilton for always saying, I just want to thank the team, I want to thank the fans, doing all the corporate speak first. I think something that very much started in the Mercedes days. Yeah, I think part of that as well comes from the immediate reaction points. So when he's getting interviewed on the grid uh, after qualifying or after the race, that's when he seems to tick those boxes as such. It's it's almost like his first thought is, I need to get those in. And then by the time he's doing sort of his, working his way around the TV pen, because they do so many interviews within that little space, yeah. he, he's loosened up and really worked what he wants to what he wants to cover off. So he's kind of thinking, right, what is it I want to say? And and he and he almost gets more comfortable a lot of the drivers do that they, they kind of perfect their answer over the first two or three answers and then they give a really nice one by the time you're the sort of the fourth interview so you want to make sure you shuffle around the pen so you're one of the the middle ones at least I, I, it's an underrated skill i suppose because we see our one interview on the one outlet we're watching we forget that they probably get asked the same question 10 15 20 times and it it never feels like that so they must get media training of how to reset and treat each question as if it's a, a new day a little bit. I think they get advice rather than training. For, for some of the drivers, there's proper training that goes on. Um, for others, they, they don't want to do that because they want the driver to be as natural as possible. But but then when they're being difficult and being hard work, that's when the team steps in and says, look, you need to get a bit better at yeah, resetting between every answer, just understanding why different groups are asking you the same thing over and over again. 
but but it is just the way it's organized is the drivers have to work their way through all the different television outlets essentially and and radio outlets and each one is only going to get one answer out of that driver and they need to record it to use and it tends to be sort of the same question even as basic as how was your race but they have to go over it again and again all right what about when a guy has had an absolute stinker you, I guess you have to harden yourself because for for me as a kind of, a, you know, a, a modern millennial snowflake, if I've seen someone who's having a really bad day, I'd be like, oh, do you know what? I might I might just leave them alone. But you've got to approach them. That, that's quite an awkward situation at times. Yeah, it certainly can be. It's um, it's not like you go and pester them. They, they come and stand in front of you knowing you're about to ask them a question. Uh, and it's more than thinking about how you word it maybe giving them the time to to give a full answer, pushing at the right times, not pushing at other times, and also knowing when when interview's over, when you're not going to get anything yeah. anything else out of them. Uh, certainly nothing better, and all you're going to do is really anger them uh, because it, that doesn't make for good TV if it's just them getting angry at you, basically. Um, it, it might be maybe once, but it, if, if you sort of burn that bridge just to try and rile up a driver when you can tell that they've had a bad day. Next time. Or, or you, exactly. All you yeah. want them to do is actually talk, so you're just trying to coax it out of them more than anything. And then, like, just give them a big metaphorical hug. They're there. They're there, <laughs> yeah. Ro- Roman. Um, but uh, let's get an insight into you a little bit. I-, I could see in your eyes that you've got a bit of a, a petrol heads mentality on your video for Racer Magazine, where you interviewed Lando Norris around Shanghai, around the Shanghai circuit. That that looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, that was awesome. That was um, yeah, I was, that was really kind of set up for me by someone at McLaren who uh, did me a big favour that weekend. I was really grateful. Got to go out there with Lando, uh, and we managed to cover it off. We did it for NBC as well. We did a bit of a track guide uh, in there, but uh, for race, I just got to ask him some sort of quick fire questions and, and different questions, something about the Indy Five Hundred. Um, just try and cram in as much as we could, and it's amazing how quickly the lap goes because you think because you're in a road car it's going to be a little while but you know they're lapping these circuits in under two minutes in a formula one car you're only looking at like three minutes in a road car so you suddenly find yourself on the back straight yeah. doing 200 kilometers an hour in no time and you're thinking oh, i've got half the questions still to ask here yeah and i mean uh, ha- half of that that time must be just struggling to breathe now you put on a brave front at the beginning and asked him to get sideways was that bravado or did you really want to see what the car could do I wanted to see what the car could do. I mean, I, you've got to trust these guys. They're they're so good at what they do. I, I'd rather have any one of them driving me than me be behind the wheel. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, you want you want to it kind of going to show it off. I've done some really cool stuff like that in the past. Uh, Mario Andretti did a two seater ride with him in, in Indianapolis, and you're going so quickly, but you've just got complete faith because they can do it a hell of a lot better than I can. Was that the two seater F1 car? Uh, the two seater Indy car. Oh wow! I bet that was terrifying. I mean, that there's no halo, there's no roof, uh, just you and your little helmet. That must be horrendous. Well, you're kind of knee, almost kneeling. You're kind of your your knees are right in front of your body because mm. there's nowhere to sort of put your legs. Um, right. either so side you don't like you don't you don't cradle him with your with your knees and calves. Not, no, oh, not okay. quite. No, um, and uh, you can't see a lot because you've just got a headrest in front of you, and then that driver. So you, you're looking sort of either side of them, and you're trying to look into the next corner as it comes, but it's just. All you're feeling really is the the physics on you, so the G force, acceleration, and the cornering, and it was incredible. It was so much fun. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you trust these guys because they've done it a million times. And if I was behind the wheel, as much as I'd love to have a go, far more likely to get it wrong. So yeah, you, you say to them, show me show me what it's really like. Uh, are you not worried that you're going to like distract Lando Norris? I mean, he's only like eighteen or something. Don't you want to just keep your eyes on the road, Lando? I'll ask you the questions at the end. 
No, I, to be honest, I would have preferred it if he'd have done what he did at Silverstone and he got it wrong with Johnny Herbert and ended up in the uh, gravel. Um, that would have been great because then you've finally seen that they're human. Um, but I still think he'd left so much margin. We got a bit sideways a few times, but um, I think he could have done a lot more if he was really willing to risk it. But these, they're, they're still having some fun, but I think they're worried about yeah someone's helmet smashing through the window if they go too quickly mm. around the corner whatever so they're still leaving plenty of margin so you don't you don't fancy yourself as um as a racer as a carter perhaps uh i no um Ooh, I've, oh, i do a, a bit hint. of carting every now and then no <laughs> I, I don't mind jumping in a go-kart we did a race a couple of weeks ago here in the uk um just an arrive and drive pay as you go thing and i got a very nicely tuned cart and finished second in that so i got a little trophy uh so i can i can point one in the right direction but um no when it comes to the the good guys i get really shown up who, who's the fastest journalist? I've, I've, I've shared a track with uh, Will Buxton, who's incredibly quick in a go-kart. Can you, can you rival him? Uh, yeah, I can give Will a decent run Ooh. for his money at the right track. Um, I'm trying to remember when we last went racing together. We've only, we haven't, haven't done it that often. Um, he wasn't in a different league, I'd say, but uh, Ben Anderson, who is now the editor of uh, F1 Racing, who used to do a lot of karting and club racing, still does some club racing, I think. Uh, he's very quick on a go-kart. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to just get lighter because that's how you get free lap time, isn't it? So I'm working on that. Oh, I can't relate. I'm a I'm very <laughs> lithe as far as you can tell from this camera angle. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, and uh, a guy called Lawrence Evanson at ESPN, he's pretty quick behind a wheel as well. He used to do some karting at university. So there's a few of these guys that have done it before, whereas I've only done it arrive and drive, having a bit of fun. I I would have thought you guys would be constantly out on go kart tracks. I thought that would have been like half your. We imagine a very glamorous lifestyle for you guys. And Joe always tries to pretend there's not a second to spare. Surely, surely that can't be the case. Tell me you're soaking up the paddock atmosphere. You're at parties at the Sunday night. Tell me you're taking advantage of this dream you're living. Uh, I wish I could. Uh, there, there's. It's not as quite as bad as maybe Joe's just made out in the sense that. We try and get the odd bit of karting in when we can, but that would normally be a Wednesday. You'd arrive, you know, you fly in on the Wednesday. Hopefully you've done most of your work and you'll go to the nearest kart track for an hour or two uh, and then grab some dinner. And But then from Thursday morning, you're off flat out, basically. The only socialising is over dinner that's normally late each evening. Uh, <laughs> in Budapest, there's a bunch of parties Sunday night, but had so much work to do, didn't leave the track till like 10 p.m. You go and get a late dinner, you go to bed, get up early, um, did some more work before heading to the airport again. So, um, yeah, there's... There's the odd, you know, I'm not saying there's never a, a good night. I mean, there's a few later finishes in Hungary where you go and enjoy the atmosphere a bit. But on the whole, you know, the whole reason you're there is because the work's allowing you to and you try and try and take the perks when you get them. But at the same time, you've got to appreciate you've got a job to do. All right. Well, listen, I don't believe him. It's a conspiracy. I think he's been ordered by Joe. Whatever Spanners asks you, just say it's boring. We don't want him trying to get into the paddock. Uh, it's look- certainly not boring. I'll say that. No, it's, <laughs> it's a great way to earn a living. I was just wondering, like, obviously you build relationships with people at teams engineers mechanics is it ever possible to 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 build anything more than you know a good working relationship because there's a kind of hunter prey mentality if you're if you're out for a pint with a a red bull mechanic he's always thinking well that's going to end up on twitter tomorrow no i'd say it's it's definitely doable i think that it depends on the person you are as a journalist but also the person that the other team member is but it's very clear to me at least where, where the lines are so once you've left the paddock anything that you speak about there is, yeah. is off record unless you genuinely say i want you go and ask them i want to know this for a certain reason um so now i've got i'd like to say i've got some really close friends in different teams and i do bits of work for different teams as well and and for um for honda as well at times oh, really? um just 
because I mean, one, the beauty of an NDA means there's only so much you can learn and can use and that sort of thing. But also it's just, it's a relationship built on trust. And if there's something that as a journalist, I want to know, I go and ask and I say, I want to know, and I want to know it for this reason. Um, and I think now with so many different media outlets as well and different ways of working, you kind of need that approach. But no, I'd say I've got some really good friends in different teams. And yeah. as long as you approach it the right way and trust each other, then, um, that, yeah, there's some stuff you hear that you think, oh, I can't use that. Um, there's other times you hear it and say, I could really do with using that. And if they trust you, they're going to go, well, you know, feel free to ask the question to the right person or whatever. That's how it kind of, how those relationships work. What about when it comes up, like if you're being interviewed by Sky or something and they say, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, if, if only we knew this about the current Honda situation and you're there going, I, I know full well, I know full well what's going on. And then you, and then you lie to camera saying, oh, well, we'll just have to see. It's it's rare to lie. Um, and to be honest, I, I can't really think of many situations where I've been put in that situation. But more the way I look at it is it's better. It means you don't get it wrong when you could get it wrong if, if you're speculating or guessing. Uh, and I think with there's so much coverage of Formula One these days. Mm. And, you know, Sky has its own F1 channel. Um, but, you know, so many different outlets have different ways of covering the sport that you can get into the realms of speculation quite easily sometimes and at the very least i know when not to say something or, or what would be the wrong thing to say even if from the outside i'd normally believe it so there's been a few times when you've known stuff ahead of time and you can't say anything but it just means you're not getting it wrong you might not be able to say oh i know and that's that's just when you have to have an ego that doesn't get too bruised because other people are eventually going to beat you to it or, or might beat you to it uh, i suppose a situation where you would have had to have kept a few things under your chest and under wraps would have been the Netflix series Drive to Survive. Tell us a bit about your involvement uh, with those guys. Yeah, that was um, one where I wasn't allowed to say a lot originally, just based on anything they were filming, who they were working with in the first series. Um, but that came about in Melbourne. I think it was James Allen was kind enough to sort of recommend me. The Netflix guys came in and said, we want a few journalists of like different ages and experience uh, to, to talk about the sport. And then it kind of got uh, honed and they they sent it in on actually they just wanted a couple of talking heads because originally they didn't want to do it as talking heads they wanted to uh, make sure that okay there's voiceover but that you never saw someone just talking to a camera uh, and then they changed the the approach there so then it became right for context to help explain things you know some of it on a very basic level which tended to be where they called on me to say what do you do on a Friday what happens on a Saturday um, so yeah I got to give that huge insight of the fact that we'd go racing on a Sunday but uh, yeah they they used that as sort of the laying the foundation so that new fans or just new viewers could understand what was going on within the sport. So um, yeah, it was a nice yeah. breakup. It was a nice breakup with like just lots of inside talking to the team people, and then we'll come back to like some studio with the talking head, then back out to the action. Just from anecdotal experience, I felt like our podcast numbers took a, a huge uptick when the the Drive to Arrive series came in. And we've had lots of emails and interactions from people saying that was their way into the sport. Is that how it's been received in the F1 community, that it's given the sport this big boost? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I think um, one of the things I noticed was on Reddit, there was a, a huge sort of thread set up that was, you know, for, for new fans that had come in and gone, right, I've, I've watched Drive to Survive or seen it, and what else do I need to know? And there's so many of them that were popping up, they had to sort of um, put them all together in one place. Uh, certainly, yeah, you just notice it on things like social media followers and stuff like that. Um, people start saying, oh, I saw you on this, so it was very cool, uh, and your numbers just go up. Uh, off the back of that, then you get things like more work because you're more recognisable. And I think within the sport, they had the same thing. And Gunther Steiner says he still hasn't watched it and won't watch it. Um, <laughs> but it's, it made him a bit of a cult hero. So, yeah, uh, yeah, 
a lot of people have seen that increase. So Christian Horner as well, he didn't always come off great in it, um, and he acknowledges that, but at the same time, he saw the benefit for the sport uh, and saw an increase in sort of awareness for him as well. So, yeah, I think um, the sport as a whole really benefited, and the fact that Mercedes and Ferrari have now got involved this year, and, and Mercedes mm. have been very good with being heavily involved over the last two races, shows that they saw the value beyond just what they could personally command. Oh, quick question then, because I got told that they were only doing the German Grand Prix for the Netflix series. Did they extend to Hungary just because the German one was such a disaster? It appeared that way. Uh, The the Netflix cameras were a lot closer uh, Mm. around uh, Lewis again in Hungary, but I didn't see in which context they're allowed to go. But I got the feeling that they'd kind of left that door a bit open to them because, and it was very clever of Mercedes and very good of them as well and brave that they'd had a bad weekend and that stuff's all going to be recorded. But then they were saying, right, we're going to also show you a bit how we're going to bounce back. Um, so yeah, I believe they got some more access there too. And I, I don't know to, to which extent, but I, I do believe they were, they were open to it. And uh, have you watched the series back with the bits with you in it? Because uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I I cringe at those bits. I watched it on the plane to Australia this year, actually, because everyone said, you know, you've got to download it before the flight and it's it's so long to get over there. Um, and it was quite quick to, to fire through. But when you sat on a plane in a seat and you're next to someone you don't know and your own face appears on your iPad. It looks like you're watching yourself. Oh, it, yeah, it's the most awkward thing ever. Yeah. Um, but it was quite fun. The amount of times I just would get like a screenshot sent to me from different friends and different people that I knew just being like, you've just appeared on my TV. Um, yeah, it was very cool. So uh, it was a really fun thing to do. And, and I think it's really sort of help the sport uh, open itself up to some new fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, So I've just got a question from one of our patrons, Samuel Harper, who just says, how much did Netflix chop up of what you were actually saying? And I'm sure it's heavily edited, but were you happy with what they picked? Or did you go, oh, no, I had a much better point about that later on or, you know. 
I, I can never remember about a time that I made a good point because they're rare anyway, but it was most of it was completely clean and, and just sort of one flow of whatever you'd said. So there was hardly anything where I thought mm, that sounds a bit odd, but there was once or twice where just for editing purposes, you could tell they'd shortened a sentence or shortened an answer. And I could hear that it just sounded a bit odd because it wasn't a complete flow. Uh, but I don't rem- I, there was never anything where I thought, oh, that's putting words in my mouth. Um, so they, they, were, they were pretty fair. And even in the interviewing, they they were clearly pushed to go down a certain direction because for anything like this, it needs to be entertaining. So there's a bit of a narrative they're using. Uh, but if if I sat there and said I actually don't agree with that or I wouldn't say that, then they'd be like, fair enough, and move on. They they weren't pushy and weren't they weren't trying to manipulate anything, which I thought was really good mm. of them because they created something very entertaining even without doing that. Uh, you just just touched upon uh, Christian Horner there, and you said you did some work with Honda. So firstly, the Honda atmosphere must be. A, a lot higher a lot better even though they didn't quite you know make it to the post in in hungary uh have you have you noticed that you know that's a nicer place to go and work um only slightly to be honest um certainly compared to the mclaren days but that was a two-way street as well a, a few few too many people i think have been uh questioning mclaren's decision to ditch honda recently because of what's happening with red bull but we're two years later and it's a completely different environment completely different structure at honda um you know they needed the fresh start as much as mclaren did so i don't actually sort of think it's fair to to criticize mclaren for that call but similarly yeah the way it's working with red bull is i think red bull learned from mclaren's mistakes and have given honda a bit more freedom uh and honda with the extra two years of development have started to really close that gap so yeah it's it's better but even then, their their standards are so high within Honda that they're not satisfied. They're not happy. They're not patting themselves on the back. Um, I'd say they're no more or less open than they were before. They're they're just. I mean, you can tell it's maybe a little bit less tense because they're getting better results and they're seeing progress. But yeah, they still feel they're a long way off where they want to be because they want to be the best uh, in the same way that everyone does. So um, no, that's quite good to see. So I, I'm turning to you more as a, a pundit now. Forgive me, but I've I've got this uh, chain of thought going. Uh, where does the decision to That's give true. Honda a bit more freedom come from? I think, uh, is it from Christian Horner is my first question, uh, because I know Renault were complaining about Adrian Newey and his very tight rear end and wanting to package everything really tightly. Is is that Horner from right from the top who goes, no, do you know what? We're, we're going we're gonna to go towards Honda's philosophy and let them off the leash a bit. No, I'd say that's more a, um, a maybe a Toro Rosso philosophy because it was off the back of the McLaren spell, the obvious and easy thing for Toro Rosso to do because to them it's the first time they'd had yeah. works status as such with their own manufacturer was to go, right, we don't have the ability really to tell you what to do do what you want to do and we'll react to it as best we can um, because obviously telling you what to do didn't work in the, in the last phase and you know Toro Rosso had far less to lose than say Red Bull did and that one year of good performance improvement and potential meant Red Bull could then go oh okay yeah we'll carry on in this vein and it's, it's all through Red Bull technology it's the central uh, kind of company mm. that's working with both teams but I think from that Red Bull were able to learn a lot about a good way to approach working with Honda and there's still demands that are made of them and there's still pressure there it, and part of it is just time and experience I think if, if McLaren and Honda were still together now five years into the relationship then it would certainly be going better just because things do improve over time so um, it's just Red Bull kind of the timing's worked out well for them and and they've learned from from Honda's past in F1 recently and how well it went with Toro Rosso that that was the way to continue. Oh, look, I, I, I would, if you don't mind, I would love to ask you just more questions about what it's like being a, a media journalist. But perhaps we could hook up a, a Q&A at some point 
to to get more of your your pundit your pundit kind of insights if if you don't mind if, if the shed is comfortable i know it's a little warm uh, and yep. uh, i'm desperate to get that fan back on uh, how about some quick fire ones from the the people that we've uh asked to provide them in our slack group uh we're going to give you a team boss situation uh, you're the team boss for 2020 all right you're picking yep. your drivers next season you can only stick with one vettel or leclerc leclerc you're picking leclerc and would, would has that changed over the course of this season uh, yes, because I thought it might be a bit too much pressure too soon on the clerk. And he still made some mistakes. He's clearly not the finished article, but he's clearly shown the potential to be a long-term future bet, whereas Seb doesn't look like he is actually quite that stable now. Yeah, if they're if they're kind of running even-ish, which I think they are in points, aren't they? They're more or less even at the moment. And you go, well, is, is Vettel going to change? Is he going to improve? Or is Leclerc's right at the beginning? Uh, all right, then, well, we'll take that away for the next one. Uh, we're assuming that Bottas is gone for 2020. Firstly, is that a fair assumption? <sighs> no, I don't think it is, because no. it would rock the boat making that change. So I think it's kind of, I'd say it's pretty 50-50 at the moment. If anything, I still think, ideally, Mercedes would like to hold on to him to keep the peace with Lewis. If it means they keep winning both titles, <laughs> oh, why would you change it? Yeah, Lewis loves him, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. Never, exactly. Said, never said a bad word about him. And whenever Bottas gets a, a pole position, Lewis is always the first one running over going, well done, buddy. You know, great work. He never did that with Rosberg. No, no, exactly. It's it's a much more harmonious relationship and you can't knock Mercedes for doing it, looking at the success and the run they've had. And essentially that's all they've got to keep doing is keep winning both championships. So even if Bottas is disappointing at times that he's not making a real title fight of it, from Mercedes' point of view, as long as one of those two drivers wins the title, the other one scores enough points to win the constructors, then they're doing the job. Okay, well, given my unfair assumption that Bottas is gone for 2020, that's the one I'm going to stick with. I think I think they're going to let him go, right? Uh, who would you pick then, Russell or Ocon? Ocon, definitely. Yeah, um, I think it's just too soon to do that to George, and, and unfair. He, he's still unproven in the Williams. He's doing a very good job. It looks like he's definitely got potential. But as we've seen with someone like Pierre Gasly, um, you get these drivers that are burned out by being stepped up too quickly, and that was the one doubt I had with the clerk as well. And I think Ocon showed over a couple of years that he's got that potential and he's got a little bit more experience and realistically he needs he needs that chance to go and prove himself because you know that he's that little bit older and he's that little bit further down the development line if it doesn't work with Ocon then you've got Russell with an extra year development to come in instead fantastic Russell's doing fantastically well though it will be interesting to see how he does against you know maybe somebody in a in a more traditional phase of their career and hopefully in a midfield pack as well no I don't think no disrespect to to what Robert Kubitz is doing at all it's just that he's possibly not at his optimum at the moment so you've got George Russell kind of in a in a wilderness zone where we we can't fully assess him but it looks like he's going well now uh, I just want to finish up by um with with one of Michael Dustelhoff's questions that he sent me and it's 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 about media and now a lot of the F1 demographic is a little older but I think generally the demographic that listens to podcasts so the ears this is falling on are the guys that go on Twitter and will go on Reddit and will go on Facebook and uh, he says seeing as Chris seems a lot younger than Joe we, we'll, we'll, we'll assume you are <laughs> I'm, I'm 30 so you're 30 um, oh, right, okay yeah that's younger than joe just only slightly uh are you um are you using a different approach in the way of reporting are you seeing a difference in approach between the younger journos and the old guard Uh, michael is clear to state that he's not calling joe a fossil but joe's generation has uh a lot more had had a lot more time to build up relations uh whereas everything's a little bit more quick fire now so basically have you noticed a drift towards 
the clickbait, clickbait F1 or clickbait.com uh, style of F1 reporting. Uh, is, there, is, there, is there the room, is there the patience for you to do what you want to do as a journalist? Um, I think there is the room and the patience if you can build that reputation. And that's something that someone like Joe did very well um, and the people that he works with. And obviously he can then call on different experience and, and liken the sport to the way it was in the past. And that's still appealing to a certain market. And it's just sort of appealing to different demographics with what you're working on. So with different outlets I, I work for, you, you write in a different style um, and you get, gather different content and I think it's more now that we have less freedom to talk or less ability to go and talk to as many key people within a team because the uh, team sort of communications departments and and PRs are very keen to uh, protect and ring fence and only give you the access like if you've gone through them and if if they agree to it uh, sometimes I want to know what you're going to ask and I think it's harder to build up relationships where you can go and have those chats off the record yeah. not just from the point of view of from the journalist having the time to go and do it because you can find that if, you, if you're if you determined enough you can and you can go and build those relationships but for then the team member thinking mm. oh, but our team don't like that you know we're not really meant to do that and in the past it was just a bit more accepted so it's kind of changed in that sense but um I, I kind of quite like that I, I like that you can have quite a widespread of age of of journalists um and then they're, they're sort of hitting different markets and, and providing different things and that, that kind of gives space to more people and, and means that it's not you know I, I know there's a lot of clickbait online similar rehashed stuff uh but then there is also some really unique bits as well so I, I quite like that sort of variety but a journalist of your generation uh, knows that he's going to have to answer immediately. So anything you say, any opinion you give, there's going to be someone on Twitter or in our case, YouTube comments who, who are going to tell us just exactly what an idiot we are. Yeah, they're down there right now, I imagine, by the time people are watching this. Yeah. Um, Hi, guys. And, and please do keep clicking the, the dislike button. It makes me feel like a proper legend. Yeah, I'll, I'll enjoy that as well. <laughs> um, no, to be fair, it's you've sometimes got to have a bit of thick skin, but I've actually found rarely, it, if if you're balanced with your arguments, people will ex- accept that you have a different opinion. I've found yeah. on the whole. I still do get some criticism, but rarely. I tend to get quite good. I don't know, maybe I've just got lucky with the sort of follower group I've got, but most comments I get and responses I get, even if they disagree with me, tend to be fairly well structured and and then you've just sometimes got to uh, accept that you're going to get ones that you really just can't argue with or can't respond to um but i just try and respond actually fairly often someone gives you a really unfair reaction to your opinion or a comment you make then i think well engage with them because you can almost educate them sometimes if you've got the time to say well it's because of this i think that or i i, I don't agree with what you've just said for this reason and half the time they'll ignore you or they'll tell you to do one and and half the time they'll go oh, i've never thought of it like that thanks for getting back to me so you can you can actually open up some good conversations there. And I think that's where it's about not having too much an ego as a journalist and not thinking just because I'm there and part of it, that means what I say goes. Yes, you can give people lots of access to your opinion and other people's opinions, um, but you then need to respect those from the people you're talking to as such. Hmm. Have a balanced and unbiased approach. Interesting. <laughs> I'll think about it and uh, and see if that's something I can I can ever manage. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. I'd just like to leave you on one question. If you weren't living everybody else's dream of being in the Formula One paddock and following them around the world, what would you be doing? 
I've honestly got no idea. Some sort of sports <laughs> journalist still, because I got into it because I realised I wasn't good enough to be a professional sportsman in any discipline. So I thought, what's the next thing that I love doing most? And that's sitting and watching sport. So I was like, I'd rather get paid to do that. So I, I think I'd somehow have to work in sport um, or, or with cars in some form. So yeah, test driving cars would be quite fun. Maybe I'll do that. Test driving cars. Chris Medlin, thank you very much for your time. Cheers, guys. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.